welcome back to Everything Just Changed, a podcast where we are asking the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus and love our neighbors in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world? I am Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor at Resurrection OC in Orange County, California, and I'm here with my friend Brett Edwards, who's planting the table in Lafayette, Colorado. And we are having conversations in this podcast about the opportunities this COVID-19 crisis is opening up for us to embrace a kingdom mindset, leaning into what God is doing proactively in the world as a result of this crisis. Excellent. So we are going to be talking about something that is probably uh, top of mind for a lot of people. It's top of mind for us. It's a huge part of the national conversation right now. And Bryce and I have both had, you know, different people, whether neighbors or people in our church uh, ask us, what in the world do we do with this? And that is this rise of conspiracy theories. And there is nothing like the uncertainty and mystery of an invisible threat in a global pandemic that uh, gives more oxygen to those kinds of things than we are right now. So surely we've all seen these they're swirling like crazy on social media. And basically, they all come down to one thing. And that is the idea that the coronavirus, there was some malevolent actor behind the coronavirus and the spread of the virus and the subsequent global shutdown, that this wasn't just a animal-born virus that jumped over into infect humans. But, you know, whether it was Bill Gates or the mainstream media or Dr. Fauci or somebody else attempting to achieve some nefarious ends through the spread of this virus, we're seeing these, these conspiracy theories just spread like wildfire. And one of the things that I think has just been surprising but interesting is that, you know, these aren't kind of fringe groups necessarily that are spreading these. These are, you know, family members. These are friends. These are people who uh, we know and love. And maybe maybe it's even some of us kind of going, I don't know, could there be something as big pharma looking for a way to make money off of this? Um, and hey, just to be clear, there's a difference between saying clearly the mainstream media does not want Donald Trump to be reelected and saying that the mainstream media uh, has, an, has an agenda that they are secretively carrying out to prevent his reelection. Absolutely. And there's a whole spectrum of how rooted in reality, we're talking about a huge, huge topic uh, today that has a hell of a lot of nuance. And so I think we just want to communicate on the front end that we're going to be painting with broad brushes here. But when you the principles will apply in varying degrees, depending on which kind of expression of this we're talking about. And the reason we wanted to have this this conversation is because number one, we're all wrestling with it, of course. Uh, But also number two, if we are going to have a, a true kingdoms mindset and not a scarcity mentality as has been the, the initial prompt and vision for this podcast, then we have to have the assumption that even that could be a redemptive opportunity God is putting in front of us. And so our goal as we're going to talk about this today is, is very much not just to say conspiracy theories are bunk, uh, but also to say, how do we understand what is driving this? What is the root? What is the kind of anthropological and cultural uh, fuel that is giving this momentum? And how do we not just kind of uncritically either you know agree or disagree, but actually 
be able to engage from a, a place of compassion that everyone and anyone who is really tempted to or 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 driven toward a conspiracy theory is really trying to resolve a legitimate and valid difficulty that they're wrestling with. Yeah. And one of the threads that we've kind of been weaving throughout this podcast is just the way that secularism has overtaken Western culture. And as much as we as Christians tend to think of secularism as something that's uh, mm-hmm. maybe opposed to Christianity. Secularism has actually infected the church. And whether you consider yourself right of center, left of center, uh, there, are, there are these different manifestations of secularism, this attempt to have the, the fruits of the kingdom without submitting to the king. And one of the results of that is this pursuit of secret knowledge, or, or really the technical term is Gnosticism or neo-Gnosticism. Gnosticism is this idea, uh, it comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And so Gnosticism began in the maybe second, third century, was affiliated with Christianity, but there were also very, very pagan versions of, of Gnosticism that have nothing to do with Christianity, but it's it's this idea that the human soul is entrapped in flesh, and the goal of the soul is to be set free from the body and enter heaven, let's just say, through the attainment of secret knowledge. And th- that is essentially a conspiracy theory. You know, my kids love watching the National Treasure movies where you've got, you know, this this idea that the founders of the U.S. were leaving these hidden symbols uh, uh, all over. And and if you find them and follow them, you can find millions of dollars. It's fascinating stuff to think about. And only Nicolas Cage would play that role. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so secularism is leading us to this place where acquiring secret information is a means of assuaging anxiety if we can just kind of gather enough information or we can see more than what everybody else sees, then we can be comforted in in knowing that we know what is really going on. And so uh, secularism has carried out this process of deconstruction, of tearing down, whether it's traditional society, um, whatever it is, it's been this project of deconstruction, of tearing down what was. And the assumption is, I know what's really going on. I'm, you know, part of this group. I'm the one person who really sees what's going on here. And so um, you need to follow me or you need to listen to me as I tell you what is actually happening here. So you, you made a few different claims in a row that each on their own are pretty significant. Um, and the first is how we approach information and kind of secret knowledge or insider knowledge as a means of assuaging anxiety. Can you unpack that a little bit? Because I feel like that's a, like, this is the thing that will help us to have compassion for people who gravitate toward conspiracy theories, because I I agree with you. I think it is very much a way of trying to resolve some inner anxiety. And there's nobody who is like not feeling some anxiety in the midst of all this. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, maybe at the most basic level, one of the ways I feel like I experienced this is I at any given moment have probably 50 to 60 open browser tabs on my Google Chrome browser on my computer. And why do I do that? I mean, some of them I've had open for years, let's say. Mm. And why do I do that? And why am I so reluctant to close these things down? It's because there's this thing in the back of my head that says, if I just read this article, there's going to be this nugget of information that is going to be a game changer for me. And I am terrified of missing out on that. And so part of me knows realistically, I'm never going to read all of these articles. I mean, it's stuff that friends have sent, 
um, stuff you stumbled across, probably some really good information. The reality is there's probably not anything in there that's going to change my world, but I think it will. <laughs> it's, it's the fear of missing out on that that prevents me from just saying, okay, enough, I don't need this. You know, it's, it's the thing that keeps you scrolling through social media too. Yeah, I've been scrolling my feed for 20 minutes and I'm bored to tears with it, but I'm pretty sure that just the next thing down is going to give me like this hit of dopamine. It's going gonna, it's gonna to give me this sense of meaning or purpose that I'm looking for. And, and it's, it's interesting, you know, when you, when you describe it that way, it's like, man, yeah, we can, there's any of us can identify with that, that tension, even if it's not an, a conscious thing. Uh, I mean, the, the FOMO that we carry around, uh, yeah. the social media is, is real. So, the, so there's this sense in which we're all doing this, but maybe the next step or a more extreme version of Gnosticism as a way of assuaging anxiety is this idea, I think, that if I'm living in a world and I see the culture around me and I think it's not going in a very good direction, if I'm frustrated about the world that I live in, maybe it gives me some comfort thinking that, you know, it's the mainstream media that's really responsible for this. Mm. It's, you know, whoever it is, there, there is a um, malevolent actor who is manipulating things. And so I'm the victim of what's going on. At least I can take comfort knowing that it's not my fault. Yeah. And there are, there are so many different cultural influences that contribute to why we have come to a place where we think that that's actually going to deliver on its promise, right? I mean, it, it may feel like a huge jump to say like, this is rooted in the second and third century, but there have been all of these data points along the way, right? We are a society that is very much influenced by the Enlightenment, um, which gave rise to modernism, which said that the only standard for truth that we that is acceptable is certainty. Mm-hmm. And if if that is the case... Um, then you have reduced truth merely to information. And it's not that information is bad. It's not that reason is wrong. It is that uh, we have reduced truth to purely cognitive informational categories. And thus, those are the only tools we have in our toolbox to assuage that anxiety that you're talking about, right? Like it's, it's like yeah. Westerners, when it comes to information, it is like the hammer. And we see, because we only know how to use the hammer, we think everything is a nail, even if it's a screw. And so in this situation with the pandemic, there is no certainty, right? Yeah. Everybody is trying to figure this out at the same time. And so every- well, and so instead of instead of as we've talked about learning to lament and living with the mystery, you know, with with maybe our only hope being that this didn't take God by surprise, even though it took the rest of us by surprise, mm-hmm. we kind of use information as the hammer to whack this thing with. And since nobody knows what's going on it leaks out sideways, that information leaks out sideways as this secret knowledge, or as we more commonly refer to it, a a conspiracy theory. Well, and the suspicion of this kind of sovereign agency, you know, whether it's mainstream media or Trump, or uh, it doesn't matter, left or right, this, this suspicion comes from modernism, evolved or some might say devolved into a postmodernism that is skeptical of any kind of objective truth claims. And so you have this combination of like a standard for certainty, but a perpetual skepticism that erodes certainty. And it is most eroded from our 
trusted institutions, um, from so-called experts. And right, that's why, I mean, like, this is exactly where the conspiracy theories around Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci uh, mm-hmm. are, are especially uh, intersections of those two dynamics. Um, and when you throw into it the, the complete ambiguity of I don't know what next week, never mind tomorrow, will bring. Uh, you can understand why people may want to do something or find some way of resolving that anxiety. And like you were saying, when you you, know, you use the word mystery, we don't have a category in our culture for for how to sit in or, or understand our own inability to understand something. Like we've yeah, really, I mean, the Enlightenment project is about uh, mystery is, is bad, <laughs> right? We want to move from mystery into certainty. And it's not really a spectrum. We don't think of, you know, truth as existing on a, on a spectrum between mystery and certainty. Rather, it's a journey from mystery to certainty. Until we've arrived at certainty, mm. we can't actually have knowledge not not actually a biblical concept of truth <laughs> yeah uh, which is so ironic right because we 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 worship a god who is trinity right a, a god who is one god in three persons can you rationally explain that or apply any level of certainty yet of course not yet as christians like this is how we can know that it is really you know, modernism and, and Western culture that has influenced us more, that we are so uncomfortable having to, with saying, I don't know, right? When we encounter something, this is Western culture in general. And, and yes, Christians are, well, I wouldn't say Christians, I would say um, modern white evangelicals, American evangelicals. When we encounter something we don't understand or something we, we feel out of, uh, you know, out of our depth to engage with, we inherently just feel stupid. We assume that the fault is within us. We f- it is an insecurity that causes us to either, when, when, we, when we feel fear, we will either fight or flee. Uh, that is the natural kind of instinctual human response. So uh, we definitely don't express humble curiosity. Instead, we weaponize our ignorance and that insecurity, and we say, it's your fault. And we attack those who are making us feel insecure, whether they be experts, whether they be media, whether they be institutions. Our skepticism of elites, uh, cultural elites, is very much this insecurity that says, I can't hang, you must be evil. Mm-hmm. And that is that is not uh, epistemologically humble. <laughs> um, it, it's not necessarily wrong. Uh, right? right. Uh, like elites, elitism is, is problematic, but where our, our skepticism is rooted in our insecurity, we got to be super self-skeptical yeah. Uh, instead. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, maybe just at the risk of even oversimplifying it, modernism would say the truth is out there to be discovered. Yeah. Right. Files. Yeah, exactly. Postmodernism says the truth is a weapon that will be used against you. So you should tear it down or co-opt it as a weapon to use against those who oppress you. Uh, Christianity says Jesus is the truth who walks into a room, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so there's no way to biblical Christian truth apart from relationship. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's where secularism, to the degree that it has infected the church, is the degree to which we will be unable to see truth as an ultimate reality that we submit to and, and instead see it as another arena to gain power and control of. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, it's for self-protective reasons. And it's, it's really interesting to me because it feels like, and yes, I think a hell of a lot of this has to do with, um, I think it started with the Tea Party movement 
and culminated in the 2016 election. But it used to be that generally, politically and culturally, the right or conservatives were the ones that most appealed to reason uh, and a, a kind of pluralistic approach to preserving other people's right of free speech and agency, et cetera. And left in response to that said, no, we just need to listen to our heart. We need to pay attention to our passions. We need to speak and live our truth. And anyone who says uh, that truth is wrong is an enemy that we have to beat, right? Now, I mean, maybe another way to say it, like the the left has tended to be further along kind of the, the secular postmodern project, the listen to your heart, the question authority. And what that's done is that has opened the door mm-hmm. to a subjective view of truth. And now the political right has like run through the door and figured out how to play that game, too. Uh, yeah, and and maybe even better, um, or effectively at least. And and it's interesting now because now it's actually the left who are appealing to reason, <laughs> and and making some of the same arguments that the right was just a decade ago. And the way that ends up coming out is, uh, yes. Bryce, you and I were talking today about uh, how the Atlantic just released this pretty amazing project called Shadowlands. Yeah, Shadowlands. uh, That is all about conspiracy theorism and theorists. And you noted at the very end of the main article that there is an appeal to the enlightenment. There is an appeal to reason and and an actual objective understanding of reality that the left and the right have switched in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, this article in The Atlantic, which is, you know, a, a, a respectable but probably slightly left of center publication, basically concludes um, by saying that the 2020 election is not just going to determine who's the next president or if Trump continues as the president. But it, it says this, it might be among the most consequential of the questions in this coming election which is not merely a political contest, but a referendum on enlightenment values and on reality itself. So they're sort of rightly highlighting this tendency towards conspiracy theories that has taken us by storm and kind of pushing back against that. But they're pushing back against it with an appeal to modern values, the enlightenment, the idea that truth and reality are objective. And the choice before you is very clear and simple here. Absolutely. And there's so much irony there. And so I think <laughs> right. exactly. what is what is so important about this conversation is that if you are personally, culturally, politically on the left, who are is expressing understandably a lot of frustration with conspiracy theorists, but if your approach is to look down on those who are tempted to believe it, you have actually missed how much your cultural end of the spectrum has contributed to this very present moment. And if you are on the right and you're like, this is not a conspiracy theory, who are you to say... Um, you are actually repeating the very arguments you rightfully criticized a decade ago from the left. Yeah, exactly. and 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 rather than preventing or or fighting against that secularism, you have been hoodwinked by it. And what this should do for us, like it doesn't matter where on the cultural or political spectrum you, you land, this should cultivate in you a more humble posture that asks, what in the world is it about human nature 
And our, our way of handling things like pain and isolation and a lack of certainty, what is it about me that would help me to actually extend compassion to the other side? This yeah. is actually a huge opportunity to do that. And not- I would think the opportunity is to cultivate both humility and curiosity because now conspiracy theories are not being you know, advanced by kind of wackos way out there that you'll never interact with. It's your friends. It's it's your family members. Mm-hmm. And if you know somebody who's posting something on social media and you're kind of going, this is crazy. And I thought this person was sane. You really have two options. You can either decide that they're not sane mm-hmm. and you should distance yourself from them. Or you can become curious and say, I wonder what it is that is driving this person who I know is a thoughtful, intelligent, and caring person Mm. to advance this theory that I think is actually really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So it could begin a, a conversation. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we're making this claim that this is a neo-Gnosticism that has very much given rise to conspiracy theories. If you know anything about the Gnostic religions and especially pagan Gnostic religions of the second and third century, they very much, the, the mystery religions highly, highly drew and were attractive to societies marginalized, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason why that was the case is because, number one, it offered a a resolution for fear. Um, It provided a connection to other people who were all kind of in on the secret, uh, literally. They didn't feel as lonely and isolated in as a marginalized person in society. And then number three, in, in a world that especially one thing we have very much in common in American 21st century society and second and third century Roman society is in a world of so many competing pluralistic ideals and religions, it provides a, an epistemological anchor in the midst of uncertainty. And yeah, or a transcendent narrative, like a story that makes sense out of everything that's going on. It actually says, okay, maybe I can't do anything about this, but I can at least not be manipulated by it. It's, mm. it's, it's very much about power and about that narrative, at least protecting you from other people abusing you with their narrative, even if it doesn't functionally change your life. And so think about those three categories, right? Fear, loneliness, and uncertainty provoked by a pandemic and especially by this shelter at home or safer at home phase that we're in. Yeah. And I think maybe the fourth aspect is this idea that there is somebody behind the curtain. There, there is somebody who knows what's actually going on, who is actually orchestrating events in human history. Yeah, it gives you somebody to fight against, right? It, right. Well, it, it, it gives you somebody to fight against or somebody to fight for, frankly. Do you think that's actually... Like, do you hear a whole lot of conspiracy theories who are like, uh, I w- I'm fighting for this other person versus me and my rights? Well, certainly the QAnon thing is like is is pro-Trump, right? And so if if the mainstream media is the bad guy that's trying to keep Trump from getting reelected, then what I do is I go and I vote to make sure that that doesn't happen. Trump is, yes, a, you know, using non-religious language, you might say that he is is a becomes a mascot um, or an idol, a, a representative of uh, of this common collective uh, group of people who feel marginalized and threatened. Yeah. Uh, and, and and by the way, the left does this too. We will identify and put somebody up in that place for us because, as you've mentioned, Bryce, 
we think that hashtag activism is actually moving things forward and it's really us connecting. Right. To- and and that's, I think that's another problematic aspect of the whole conspiracy theory thing that's going on right now is that somehow we think that by kind of voicing an opinion about this on social media that we've actually done something and and we we haven't. Secularism and consumerism provides this opportunity to express judgment without taking any responsibility. And the reality is that I haven't contributed to the solution to anything by either affirming this conspiracy theory or frankly, by responding negatively to it, by pushing back against it. Oh, uh, yes. When I'm sitting behind my computer screen, you know, expressing my opinions on social media, I'm very rarely contributing in a positive way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We think we have a hell of a lot more insight into our own motivations than we actually do. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I I think what's maybe helpful to think about as we've discussed what's behind conspiracy theories, well, it's fear, it's a desire for a controlling narrative, it's an escape from loneliness. Um, Why that's so helpful to understand is that if you're trying to interact with somebody who's advancing a conspiracy theory, it's not going to be helpful to get into an argument about the facts that are in question right there. Mm. If what's driving me is fear, a desire for meaning and purpose, loneliness, a desire to see somebody that knows what's going on, a conversation about the facts at play are, is not really relevant. Hmm. Um, it's, it's not really going to be helpful to discuss, well, actually, vaccines are really safe. And uh, there's, all this, there's all this scientific data that backs it up because it's fear that's driving the conversation, that's driving the, the conspiracy theory in the first place. So the desperation for an, an explanatory narrative is what drives us to conspiracy theories. And that is actually like we actually know of an example of that in scripture that's pretty profound. Job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you started this off by saying if to have a, a humble curiosity or a humble epistemology is to not act as Job's friends, to try to provide a narrative that says, I can see above uh, what I am able to actually able to see. Right, right. The problem with Job's friends is that everything they said was actually true. You know, it just, it just wasn't wise. It just didn't apply to Job's situation. And, and to your point, this is why arguing over the, the, the facts aren't actually helpful. And the right. thing that the, the way that Job is written, we are intended to identify with, nod our heads, go, mm, mm, amen to Job's friends. Right. Um, and, and because Job, you know, whoever authored Job is, is aware of how human nature tries to provide these, these explanatory narratives that don't trust in the midst of mystery and ambiguity. And, and even Job, who's like, I don't know why this has happened is actually affirmed and and applauded by God in the same breath that God reminds him, hey, I am actually the sovereign agent here. And remember who I am? Remember, I created the deep. I, I give breath to you. I created all things. I am in control. But it wasn't a rebuke. He still valued and applauded Job's emotional honesty in his lament to God, in his wrestling. And then it actually says, hey, Job, I will forgive your friends if you, if you forgive them first. Mm-hmm. It actually gives Job agency in the midst of this. And the agency that we can have is mercy, forgiveness, grace, and curiosity. Humility and curiosity. The, the, the verse that's coming to mind is um, 1 John 4. Perfect love casts out fear. It's not perfect knowledge that casts out fear. Oh. It's not perfect certainty that casts out fear. Yes. It's, 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 it's relational. It's 
It's perfect love. It's the love of God for us that casts out fear that then enables us to move towards each other in love. Not because we already agree on everything, right? I mean, we talked about community last week, so we don't need to dive back into all of that. Sure. But if if it's only, it's not perfect agreement casts out fear, right? <laughs> or perfect ideological alignment. Right. The essence of, of love is self-sacrifice. So it, it's not really love if there's not some measure of misalignment there, that has to be overcome. Right? Amen. It's perfect love that casts out fear. And the beauty of that is that is something that transcends the fear. Yes. Also the loneliness, the ambiguity of all this, the competing narratives and, you know, whatever social shame you feel like you are risking by either wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. Our motivations become redeemed and transformed and replaced not with self-protection, which is really what conspiracy theories are, are offering, mm. but actually love of neighbor that is rooted in and secured by God's love for us. And mm. that completely changes the narrative. It enables us to be humble. It enables us to be curious. It enables us to just sit there and grieve and say, I don't know in the midst of this. And it also prevents us from having to deconstruct the crap out of everything which by the way, that's exhausting. Like it just feeds our own anxiety. It doesn't actually deliver on its promise. That's, that's the irony of this whole thing. The idea that if I could just gain more knowledge, then I would be less anxious mm. is totally untrue as proved by the number of open browser tabs in my computer right now. The fact that I have all of that information is not assuaging my anxiety. It's making me feel more anxious about all of the things that I'm not doing right, that I'm missing out on these nuggets of knowledge that I have not yet acquired. So it, it, it's impossible for it to actually deliver on its promise. So Bryce, all this said, and to make sure that we are not doing our own Gnosticism engagement with this because we now we understand and see clearly because we have <laughs> our knowledge on all these cultural things. Like how, how do we not just stay there? Like, oh, I understand. So now I'm okay. And, and actually tangibly, practically extend the grace of Jesus and compassion into the relationships that we have where people are saying this. And I, I want to ask a second part of that question, because I have a hunch that our, our way of engaging will probably be at least a little bit different depending on whether they claim to be uh, a follower of Jesus or not. Yeah. You know, as with everything, context matters. And so it depends who you're talking to, what your relationship with that person is. And, you know, if, like you said, if they're a follower of Jesus or not, I think the first thing we have to do is listen. You know, no, no matter how extreme the view seems, like we, we have to listen. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that the next thing that I would want to do is I, I would want to, when there is a place to uh, push back gently, I, I would want to push back, not on the data, but I would want to lean into the fear. Mm -hmm. And I would want to be curious about what is, the, what is it that you're afraid of here? Mm -hmm. Because my hunch is that in a lot of those cases, people don't know what they're afraid of. And so just stopping and sort of helping them tease out what, what is actually the fear that is driving this kind of misinformation would be really helpful. And then, and then I think that opens up the door to then talk about the hope, the hope of the gospel, that though this is mysterious to us, and though this has taken the global community by surprise, the Holy Spirit was not surprised on March 15th yeah. by how this all played out. Uh, God is still on his throne and he knows what's going on. And it's a mystery to us. Uh, but the one who didn't spare his son, it, it, it can't be, it cannot mean that he doesn't love us because he gave up his own son 
in order to show us his, his love and his care and to redeem us and to, uh, to save us from a life of, of futility and meaninglessness. And so we can be people who live with hope even when we don't know what's going on. So we can live with humility. We can just exist <laughs> when the world is mysterious. And we can be curious about those who are uh, struggling and anxious with fear. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the bottom line. I think the way that we as Christians have got to respond in the midst of this is, is a truth with love approach that says truth matters and it's true. And, and we must pursue our own submission to the objective truth and the reality that, that is described in scripture. Um, and at the same time, have a humble posture towards those, whether they claim to be Christian or not, who, who very much disagree with what they see as going on in, in reality. And, we, and if we can keep at the forefront of our minds that there are valid, legitimate, genuine, and gospel-relevant dynamics that are going on in all of us right now that around fear, loneliness, and uncertainty, it will help us both have that epistemological humility and enable us to extend compassion across party, cultural, and religious lines such that we are able to actually be the flourishing presence of Jesus in the midst of this crisis. And there, there is no other way, and we have to pursue that with a ruthless abandon because that's the gospel call. Mm. Wow. The truth is something that we submit to, not that we weaponize. And because the truth is embodied in Jesus as we submit to him, we can become people who cast out fear in an anxious time by loving people, even when they're trying to use information to whack us over the head. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Everything Just Changed. If this is your first time joining us, we would love it if you'd subscribe. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. We'll be back early next week. We've got a special two-part conversation about the culture war between those on the right and those on the left and how it is rearing its ugly head again in new ways in light of the COVID-19 shutdown. How does the gospel provide a third way for us to navigate these secular waters? Please join us as we seek to help you faithfully navigate life in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world on Everything Just Changed. I'm Bryce Hales with Brad Edwards. Our theme music was recorded by Kevin McLeod and used under a Creative Commons license from filmmusic.io. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon.